0: hello everyone welcome to another episode of stretch takes it's episode three of season two and i am honored to have my serbian teammate and brother uh luca really glad to have you on buddy thank you so much for joining us from serbia
1: as i how's it going Shret? thanks again good, for man. having me it's awesome yeah. to be here
0: of course of course I guess we'll just you know start a little bit about you. Like, how's Serbia been? Um, you know, what's the coronavirus situation like over there? Because from what I've heard, at least they've reopened a little bit, but um, you know, I've heard the cases also have had, like risen a little bit there too. So again, you, you can take away, you know, give us a little bit snippet of what's going on in Serbia. Uh,
1: yeah. So of course, I I came back to Serbia on June eighth, I believe, and before that, I was, I mean, I was in the states, so I wasn't really. Um, I don't really know much about the situation back home except for what my parents told me. But now that I'm here, uh, I can tell you that we're, like, at the moment, we're fighting with uh, the second peak. Uh, they don't, they're they not really sure if it's the second wave of the virus or if we're just uh, peaking the second time inside the first wave. Um, but overall, yeah, the number of cases is um, is increasing for sure. Uh, and for a couple of weeks, I think for the last three weeks, we were pretty open. Uh, restaurants were open, stores were open and people were slowly starting to like get used to the normal lifestyle again. And now we have, uh, more cases again. So I think some measures will have to be put back into place.
0: Right. Um, I think also just something I want to touch on and you probably heard about, the Djokovic charity event, maybe the fact that you probably heard about Jokic also just getting coronavirus. Of course. Um, so of course, of course. How is Serbia? I guess maybe you don't know maybe a ton about this, but like, what has Serbia done to address that? Um, so,
1: so I can I, I cannot tell you if uh, if the country officially addressed that. Um, I, I I can tell you what uh, Novak has done and um, what the overall. Um, feel in the public was about that. Um, so so initially, when we heard about the, uh, I think it's called the Adria Tour, uh, the one that was uh, pretty much organized and sponsored by Novak, it was um, supposed to be a charity event to help tennis players uh, make some money. I mean, they've been out of business. They haven't been playing for pretty much three months now. Um, so, So on the surface, I think that it's a good idea, I think that it's a it's a it's a benevolent thought um, but to be fair, it is uh, pretty dangerous considering the epidemic and everything else, uh especially with the whole country, as I mentioned earlier, uh just opening up like you have uh, so many people interact- interacting now and you have um, this big tournament um, so that definitely did cause some issues and i mean I don't know how uh, how much you followed, but um, a couple of the tennis players that were in there. Uh, um and um yeah I mean it was pretty much a a health concern after all and um I see that people have been pretty much blasting Novak on social media which is um like don't get me wrong I'm a huge fan of Novak obviously like every Serbian is uh but I I can't say that I that I don't agree with what, what people are saying I think that um being mindful in this situation is, uh, the top priority and pretty much protecting everybody's lives, uh, is what matters after all. And, uh, there will be time for, for tennis and all the other sports, um, uh, yeah. once we get a vaccine or once we just normalize the situation a little bit.
0: Right. How is, uh, like, I guess for, since you're, you know, a basketball player, you're looking to obviously play, come back and play at Amherst again next year. What have you been able to do, um, through this process? I mean, cause it's probably very interesting now being in Serbia. Cause I know at least from what you told me at Amherst, you really couldn't do much. Um, have you been able to do a little bit more back at Serbia? Um, and um, yeah, like, like how are people like, I guess, like, you know, are they playing basketball? I mean, over there, I mean, like, you know, I mean, I assume cause their courts are trying to open up here that they are, mm-hmm. but you know, just, you know, obviously give me your thoughts on that. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, I mean, obviously like it's summertime now, so pretty much all the national leagues uh, have come to an end. So in terms of organized basketball, it's not played as much as it would, uh, like two months ago or something. Uh, but I, I, again, like we did have a lot of measures in place and we didn't have any organized athletic events. Um, I think a month ago when the measures started to uh, soften a little bit and when people started to go out and when gyms started to open up and athletic centers started to open up, that's when players finally got the chance to work out again. Um, I was fortunate enough to be able to start working out immediately when I got back home. Uh, but now again, with this uh, second wave or a second peak, whatever you want to call it, um, I think that if they do put measures back into place, um, we might have to be quarantined for some time and gyms might have to close again. Uh, and at that point, it's pretty much trying to do something on your own outside um, just trying to stay in shape and work out um, in any way possible, pretty much. But yeah, for the last two weeks or three weeks that I've been back, um, I've been able to work out at the at the local athletic center, thankfully. Um, but we'll see what happens in the future.
0: Yeah. Um, I guess like another thing I'm gonna segue into just speaking of just like Serbian basketball or anything like that is the one thing that always interests me, I think about European basketball generally, I think is just the fact that a lot. You have a lot more today. A lot more skilled players coming in from Europe than probably back in like the '90s or even early 2000s. You know, you have you have you know. I'm just giving you know, names, obviously. You have you, have, you know from your, some survey, You have Jokic, right? You know, you got of course uh, Luka Doncic. You got Porzingis, um, of course, of course. You, know, you got you got some other guys, obviously as well. Like you know, Bertans is having a breakout year, mm-hmm. um, and that kind of stuff. So the thing I'm talking about maybe is like what allows those european players today to be able to come into an nba and not be so out of place like they used to be in a sense like why how are they able to come in and a lot of these more of these guys able to have success right away or like what are you to do that to too
1: um well um that is that is a pretty complex question first of all and um uh, i would just like to s- state first that i think that um it is individual after all, like in the, in the past, you did have some, some uh, European basketball players that actually did play quite well. Uh, If you think about Dražen Petrovic or if you think about Tony Kukoc, uh, two great uh, Croatian players. Um, But, but yeah, I, I do like at the end of the day, I do agree with you. I think that the system is, is a bit better. I think that the physicality of the players in Europe is, is increasing. Uh, year by year, I think that um, people are trying to implement weight room stuff a lot more, and I just think that that gap between uh, the athleticism levels in the NBA and Europe perhaps is starting to shrink. And I also think that the overall basketball skill gap is trying is is starting to shrink. Uh, but also, I think that a culture plays. Um, like just the specific cultures of some European countries, play, they play um, a big role in this as well. Uh, like you mentioned, some Serbian players, uh, Nikola Jokic, um, I don't think that he's still in the NBA, but Miloš Teodosic also played for the Clippers. Uh, you, have, you had Bogdan Bogdanovic, uh, Nemanja Bielica. Those are some really good players. They all play for the Serbian national team. Uh, and they're, they're able to come into the league and produce at a pretty decent level. Um, so I think that there, there are a couple of countries in Europe that just have a very good basketball culture. And I think that it's, it's that culture and those, those genes, the genetics, at the end of the day, that make some of these European players very good.
0: Yeah, I think just to add on with that too, I think the fact of like a guy like Doncic playing professionally in you know with Real Madrid and and you know just playing and be able to play in the Euroleague was a mm-hmm. huge advantage. I think the the big thing that Europe, at least from what I've read, is that you know you could like you can have guys who are 17 playing in professional leagues, and you know if they're going to want to go to the NBA, they're playing against you know grown men at a young age, mm-hmm. and you know you have a lot of guys who now in the NBA are looking to play in the G League or that kind of stuff because they're looking to get money. Um, but I think that's like, again, like that's something like, you know, even like a guy like Sabonis, right. Sabonis was like Mm -hmm. not getting really paid, but he played professionally for a few years before he went to Gonzaga. And I think that really helped him develop. And like, you know, see, you see him now he's like an 18 and 10 guy for the Pacers. And of course, of course he's great. Yeah. Again, like, I think that's just, that's something I took away. I think the fact that like the league has got, like, you know, you watch the European league games, they're very physical now. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think the fact that like, you know, there was a stigma, and don't take any offense to this, but like you know, in the past mm-hmm. European players were soft, and I don't think that mm-hmm. stigma really like is exists anymore because you see a guy like Doncic, he's just not at all like he, you know, he mm-hmm. he he bullies guys, he posts guys up, and I think he, for everyone, he's the most famous guy because he's you know our age and he's you know doing like unprecedented stuff that like you know, the last guy to do that was LeBron James,
1: yeah, which, which his is stats it's, it's, are, um, yeah, his I mean, stats are insane,
0: yeah, exactly, um, and I think just. To go along with that, you know, like what, are, like how do you uh, view the Euro the Euro League in general? And I mm-hmm. think with, with along with those lines, um, you know, like I guess yeah, you know, um, do you think like, the, like like I just said, do you think the fact that the Euro League is you know allowing these players to play at a young age will allow more European guys to flourish in the future? Mm-hmm. Um, and do you think the league also is just like you know something that a lot of guys who maybe um, like you know like the what who what Miritich did, like you know if you're a borderline all-star, but you want to go get paid more. That's something you can also go play and so game
1: profit. Yeah, of course. So
0: that's a lot of, of questions there, but like you know, tackle <laughs> whatever question you want to, um, and yeah, you
1: can take it okay. Um, so I guess I guess I'll start with the uh, most obvious question. Uh, that's the one whether I think that um, Euroleague allowing these players to play at a young age helps them and and uh, helps them grow into into these great NBA players. I think that the obvious answer is yes um I think that it's it's quite natural for for young kids I mean they are kids after all like fifteen sixteen seventeen um for them to be able to play uh it's not really about the money it's it's more about the experience to get the experience that uh that they do in Euro league and to be able to play with those older guys that have been through it all and to be able to uh get mentoring from all those guys. I think that that's something that for example, helped Luka Doncic so much. I mean, he was, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, uh, but I think that he started playing for Real when he was just 16.
0: He was, uh, yep, 16, yep.
1: And that he, I think he is the youngest player to start for Real Madrid and probably the second youngest player to start in a EuroLeague game. I think that there was somebody else uh, in yeah. the past who was younger than him. Um, but yeah, uh, just to get back to the to the question, I think that, Uh, the opportunity of playing at such a high level, I mean, at the end of the day, it is the second strongest league in the world, um, besides the NBA, of course, the opportunity to be, to be able to play there at such a young age, that's just what separates these guys. And that's what, that's, that's something that sets them for a a later, good career. Obviously, like if they're fortunate enough to avoid any injuries, um, now to address the question about my opinion of the Euroleague, um, well, I, I'll say that the Euroleague, um, for some people, is not as fun or as engaging as the NBA. Right? You don't see that many points. Um, people. Some people say that it's uh, more about tactics than it is about the individual performance. Uh, you don't see as much one-on-one game as you do in the NBA, perhaps. Of course, now I'm talking about the regular season. In the playoffs, the NBA also um, gets super tactical, as as you know. Um, so, so on that part, uh, I will say that obviously it is sometimes more fun to watch regular season in the NBA. But I think that for individual players, it's really good for their development to be part of a EuroLeague team and to get used to just that mindset of, uh, knowing so many plays and keeping everything in their head, and just uh, recognizing situations on the floor, and just just knowing just knowing basketball, you know, getting to know basketball. I think that for some players, that Euroleague experience just helps them uh, recognize situations on the floor in the NBA. And I mean, good good examples of that would be uh, Luka Doncic or Mil- Milos Teodosic. Um, those two were just pick and roll uh, masters. Uh, from the first from the first second they stepped they stepped foot on an NBA court. and I think that's because uh, because of how how tactics um, uh, how tactics play an important role in the Euroleague. Um, I will also say that there's the other side of the coin, um, just how they get the opportunity to uh, learn the tactics and become part of a system System basketball, I think that EuroLeague does sometimes suppress the creativity of individual players uh, because uh, when you have like, for example, 30 or 40 plays and you have different endings for each and every play, there's really not that much that you can do that's not set up by the coach. Uh, so I think that players that do not find themselves in the NBA um, sometimes um, have a rough time just because they're used to uh, basically having everything pre-engineered for themselves. Uh, but then again, you have examples like Luka or Teodosic or Bogdanovich or Jokic, uh, perhaps Jokic would be the best example of that where creativity can still work inside, inside a system, a system, like a system basketball pretty much. So, so I will like, just to recapitulate, I will say like there, there are good things to Euroleague. Uh, but there are also some bad things, of course, in my opinion. Um, but, yeah, I think overall it's it's great that these uh, young players have the opportunity to uh, play at a young age and get coaching and get mentoring from all these great basketball names.
0: Yeah, I, I think,
1: again, this is just a point I'm going
0: to add upon it too. I think, you know, you look at the game today, right, it's much more three-point oriented. It's much more, you know, being able to guard, pick, and roll, and switch and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think the Europeans kind of inspired that. If you look at that Mm -hmm. in a sense, Dirk was a huge step in that. Petrovic was a guard, you know, that a lot of guys Mm -hmm. haven't seen because he was like a tough-nosed shooter, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a shame what happened to him, you know, that his career had to get
1: cut.
0: It was was very unfortunate um, Mm -hmm. because he was, I think, inducted in the Hall of Fame recently just because, uh, you know, of what he actually did accomplish Mm -hmm. in his career. But I look at a guy like Porzingis, for example, and I think that the fact that he got to play professionally at a young age and, you know, mm-hmm. showcase his skills because everyone kind of criticizes him because he's three and doesn't post up a ton. But his mm-hmm. game is so much better the fact that he can drive to the rim, rebound, you know, it's mobile and he can just shoot from mm-hmm. anywhere, right? Mm-hmm. That's what the game is now. Mm-hmm. You know, you see a lot of guys today that, you know, older players who are great post players. I mean, look, mm-hmm. like I play in the post, right? Like I like playing in the mm-hmm. post. But, but, I mean, it's 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 a, it's a different game. I mean. In a Division mm-hmm. three level, you know, you have a lot more traditional post guys. But, you know, at the Division mm-hmm. one level, you either have a shot blocker or you have to be a knockdown shooter. And mm-hmm. I think that's partly it's inspired. Yeah, Steph Curry made a big influence in that. But I think also, mm-hmm. you know, you have guys like Dirk who showed Biggs that they can shoot and be just as effective. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's the one thing that – when I look at the EuroLeague, I I take that a lot because, you know, there's a big emphasis on skill development. And something I've mm-hmm. talked about in one of my past podcast episodes was – how I think sometimes like the ability to play like a lot of games, like an AAU is sometimes detrimental to skill development because you're relying too much on these trainers to know what they're doing. And Mm -hmm. you're asking players to go outside their AAU coaches with Euro league or even just like European academy training, like, you know, things that you did back in Serbia, Mm -hmm. you're getting that skills training all the time and you're also playing games, right. But you're playing Mm -hmm. in a structured system. And it's different though. When you come to America and it's way more isolation ball. I mean, maybe you can touch Mm -hmm. on this too. Like, you know, I guess, like, my question within that is, like, you know, when you first came to, you know, America, like, what was the big difference for you when you first stepped onto a basketball court? And, you know, like, do you think this is, like, a similar kind of thing that a lot of guys, I mean, Luka Doncic and Jokic are kind of anomalies, but Mm -hmm. do you think coming from a different country and, like, you know, you're so, you know, focused on what the coach's system is, when you came Mm -hmm. came to Amherst, where we kind of, you know, we have plays and that kind of stuff, but we do diagram off that to an extent.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, did you
0: find that, like, a bit of an adjustment at first? And then, you know, obviously, you know, you're you on the team. You you kind of, like, you know, learned to get with it. But I was saying, was that a big culture and, you know, culture shock and playing shock mm-hmm. for you? I mean, you can speak a little bit about that.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I will I will touch up on, on that. I think that um, it definitely was a shock for me. I think that no matter how skilled or creative you are, I mean, even if you're Luka Doncic, um, I think that it's a shock because it's just um it's just a different way of of playing basketball at the end of the day but um again like they're a good size to to both ways of playing as i as i mentioned before and i think that if you're determined enough and if you're talented enough you can you can somehow adjust to everything as as we can see um in these in these good examples um so yeah, yeah i will say that it's uh it was. It definitely was in an adjustment period, and it's a different way of playing basketball. Uh, but it is. It is more fun. I think that um, being able to play uh, for a college team is perhaps more fun than uh, trying to play professionally back home. I have many friends uh, that are our age, and that decided to just um, try and stick with uh, Serbian first league, Serbian second league teams like that, and. Um, that basketball, obviously, it is professional. Like they, they do get paid to play, um, but it does resemble the Euroleague a lot. Like everything is uh, pre-engineered by the coaches. Um, it's just it doesn't offer you the opportunity to be creative with the ball, and uh, I think that it just suppresses your fun in a way. I know that it's some somewhat silly to say that, but I think that for college players still uh, the game should be fun. You know, like there is time to turn that into a job. Um, like that, that's when you mature a lot. Uh, but I think that you should, you should take basketball as something that you love to do for as long as you can, before it starts being your job and your responsibility and something that pays your, pays your bills.
0: Yeah. So you would say that you enjoyed college basketball more probably just because of the fact that there is a lot more creativity in it. Is that what you're basically saying that? I'm
1: so, so I'm saying that it just, there is, there is more creativity. That's one aspect to it. But I just think that um, the different vibe of it uh, is just more enjoyable for players than perhaps playing professionally um, back home. Of course, I, I didn't play professionally back home, so I couldn't tell you from my experience, but I uh, like talking to, um, some of my friends and, uh, comparing and contrasting what we think about the game and everything else. I think that, um, perhaps it is, it is a better time playing, playing college basketball, you know, for as long as you can.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess like the, that that's, that's interesting because I, I really didn't think of it that way because when I, when I see the European league, it looks kind of really fun because they're just moving the ball around. Like they're zipping the passes in and out. Like the big guys are throwing these ridiculous passes and,
1: mm-hmm. and everything
0: like that. You know, a guy again, like the guy who I, you know, was ashamed that he had to leave the NBA because I think he would have been an all-star. Was Miritich, but I mean, I think Mm -hmm. he is the highest-paid Euroleague player right now, and he was, you know, dominating with Barcelona. Yeah, and I, I personally loved loved his game because I thought that he was, you know, a guy like when he was on the Bulls, he was tough. He was, you know, he could get to the basket, he could post you up, he could, he can really shoot. Um, And the one thing is, like when I look at the NBA and I look at the Bucks, for example, I think the Bucks really miss him because he was a guy you could put, you could plug in at the four or five and a big on the other team wouldn't be able to just stand in the paints. Um, and I think now the teams will be able to do that. But I think that like, again, the last thing I want to talk about is, you know, uh, you know, obviously it's been a uh, crazy situation up at Amherst, but you know, like, how are you still like, you know, staying prepared, I guess not for basketball, just like overall, just for like whenever school starts, Mm -hmm. um, like, you know, what are you trying to, how are you trying to keep your mindset, um, like positive, even though, you know, we have, it's just very unknown.
1: So, um, as I said, I I, I try to work out as much as I can, obviously, for basketball and for everything else. Um, We will see if uh, that remains to be uh, possible with the whole coronavirus thing and perhaps measures getting back into place. Um, On the academic side, I was fortunate enough to be selected to do surf. So I I, I am keeping my brain active uh, for a bit with that. I am doing research. Uh, which I'm super grateful for to the explain,
0: explain a little bit what SURF is for people who just don't know.
1: Yeah. So SURF is, I think it stands for Summer Undergraduate Research Fellowship. So it's supposed to be uh, your first research experience as an undergrad. Um, you usually um, select a, a professor, your mentor, and uh, you're in a group of from three to five people pretty much. And uh, you all collaborate do research, help the professor out, and you get a lot of mentoring, a lot of tutoring from them. And uh, it's just very beneficial for uh, somebody who perhaps wants to go to grad school afterwards or, or do research full time or anything like that. And I think it's, it's, a, it's a good experience for anybody to have. Um, so on the academic side, I have been doing that, uh, which was a lot of work, but it was also a lot of fun as well. Um, I talked about um, basketball um but yeah in terms of um remaining positive about everything I mean obviously I'm back home you know it's always it's always nice to see your family to see your friends um I think that um I think that at the end of the day you just kind of have to think that everything is gonna be all right and you have to somehow convince yourself that this is not the end of the world. And at the end of the day, there are many more people out there that have it far rougher than you and I do perhaps like our biggest uh, concern right now. I mean, at least my biggest concern, I'm assuming it's yours as well is whether we will be able to go back to campus and have a normal experience, a normal student athlete experience. Uh, but I mean, there are some people that are just fighting for their lives. So, I think that it just doesn't compare. So, keeping that perspective, you know, keeping that in your mind uh, just kind of helps. Right. And obviously, getting the support from uh, the people that you care about, your friends, your family um, also plays a big part.
0: Yeah. Well, again, Luke, I appreciate you being on, man. And, um, you know, I uh, hope everything's going to be safe over there in Serbia. Mm-hmm. Um, I hope to see <laughs> you soon. Um, again, thank you for being on.
1: Thanks so much, Trett.